listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. The creator of the universe, the one who spoke things into existence, has been working carefully, skillfully, intentionally, deliberately in your life since before the beginning of time. God himself has been investing into you. He's given you talents. He's given you resources. He's giving things to you, putting things at your disposal, pouring into you. And if you haven't understood this, God has a limitless supply of resources at his disposal. God has been investing in you, pouring himself out. The question is, what have we been doing with what God has been pouring into us. What have you been doing with God's investment in you? Turn with me to Luke chapter 19 in our Father's Word. We're going to look more deeply at the Gospel of Luke because we are going through the entire Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, and when we're done, we'll have a clearer picture of God, clearer understanding of our place in following Him, our way our purpose in this life, and you actually will end up having a more significant impact and a more enjoyable life, a more substantial legacy, because you've taken time to look at God's Word and to put it into action. Luke chapter 19, in verse 11, as they heard these things, he, Jesus, proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you've been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you're a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you. 
that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. If you've been a follower of Jesus Christ for any length of time, you have had a bit of your time preoccupied with the circumstances surrounding the return of Jesus Christ. You've spent at least some time contemplating when Jesus might return. You've spent some time contemplating the circumstances that might be happening in your life when Jesus returns. And you've spent some time contemplating your lifestyle. What does it mean to live for Jesus as a Christ follower? You've contemplated the timing of Jesus' return. You've contemplated the circumstances of Jesus' return. And you've contemplated your lifestyle until the timing and the circumstances are fulfilled. And this parable, this word picture that has a main point, one primary point, that's what a parable is, is about the timing, the circumstances, and the behavior of a disciple when it comes to the kingdom, the arrival of God, the advancement of his kingdom. Look with me at verse 11. As they heard these things, well, what things? You know that we've been talking about the context in which verse 11 takes place. It's on the heels of Jesus' interactions with Zacchaeus, the chief toll taker the tax collector who was a wee man, a man who was small in stature, either because of his height or because of his age or maybe because of both. Maybe he was small of stature because he was tiny and young. The people didn't like him, and God saw something in him, a desire to have Jesus rule and reign over his life. The Bible is a book of contrasts. Your life as a disciple is a lifestyle of contrasts. Do you understand that? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the very nature of following Jesus, when people in the world are not interested in following Jesus, means that your life is going to be set up in stark contrast to the way everyone else is living. Your life and mine, your family and mine, is set up in juxtaposition, a stark, startling contrast to the way everyone else is living. Other people in the world are not interested in the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. They're not interested in submitting themselves to God. Yes, there are crowds of people, quote unquote, listening to the words of Jesus, but they're not really listening to the words of Jesus. There are people, quote unquote, following Jesus, just like there were in Zacchaeus's day, a large crowd, a crowd of people following Jesus, but only one in the crowd was really following Jesus, Zacchaeus. And Jesus has a dialogue with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus has a dialogue with Jesus. There's an intimacy that results because of God initiating and making the first move towards Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus responding to God's initiatives. You know, God is in the process of speaking to you, making initiative moves, making preliminary moves in your life, speaking to you, reaching out to you all the time. Are you responding to God's moves? Zacchaeus was. Zacchaeus did. 
And it's because of God's first move and Zacchaeus' response and faith to Jesus, his desire to have Jesus rule and reign over his life, even though he was in the minority, even though the majority of people looked down on Zacchaeus, Jesus didn't look down on Zacchaeus. Jesus reached out to Zacchaeus. And it's in this contrast, it's in this context of contrast that Jesus speaks these words. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a word story with a main point, a parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem, the culmination of Jesus' ministry, where he would be rejected by the chief priests, the scribes, the rulers of the nation of Israel, the Roman government, the Gentiles and the Jews would reject Jesus, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God would appear immediately. And that's an interesting word, again, that is used by Luke. They supposed that the kingdom of God would appear immediately. You know anybody who's fantasizing about the sudden appearance of the kingdom of God today? You know anybody who's talking about the Jewish calendar today and that Jesus is about to return any moment because of the, the Jewish calendar, because of the super this or the super that? You know anybody who's looking at the signs in the heavens, the color of the moon through one appearance or two appearances or three or maybe four and saying, because of what we see in the heavens, because of what we see in world events, the coming of the kingdom of God is instantaneous and at any moment. You know, Paul believed that 2,000 years ago. It motivated him and inspired him to live for Jesus Christ. And if Paul wasn't motivated and inspired to live for Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, if the writers of Scripture weren't likewise inspired, where would we be today? Their sense of urgency has led you and me to be tremendous beneficiaries of the truths of Scripture that the Holy Spirit wrote through them. But you know, we don't need subjective interpretations of Scripture based on world events. All we need is for the Scriptures, the Bible itself, to stand alone on its own. God promised that he was returning, that Jesus was returning. Jesus will return. And that's all we need is to live our lives by faith in the promise of what Jesus said he would do. He said he would come back. We don't need to be motivated by anything other than the promise of Jesus, the multiple promises of Jesus, for that matter, and the identity of Jesus. That's sufficient. If you haven't noticed, financial collapse did not happen this past week. It might happen next week. It might happen a week after. It might happen a year from now. It might happen six months from now could happen years from now. It might not happen. There are wars and rumors of wars. There could be more wars and rumors of wars. And most likely, all of that is true. In the meantime, there are people who think that Jesus is going to come back immediately, and it's true that Jesus is going to come back. It's true that this word that's used by Luke immediately is used throughout the gospel again and again when Jesus is performing a miraculous sign, a miraculous wonder. When Jesus is healing, that word 
immediately is used again and again in Luke's gospel. Same exact word that's used here in verse 11, because people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. And Jesus helps the people in his day, and he helps us today to understand that just maybe the kingdom of God might not appear as quickly as you and I think it's going to appear, but make no mistake about it, it's appearing nonetheless. See, you and I, as evangelical followers of Jesus Christ, those of us who believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God from Genesis to Revelation, we don't have a difficulty believing in the return of Jesus Christ, but what we often get caught up in is something that should not garner our attention and our focus the way it does. We think that Jesus is going to return at a timetable and in a set of circumstances that actually might not be the way it actually is going to go down. And the more things change, the more they stay the same. The people were expecting the culmination of the kingdom of God because of what they saw in Jesus, the miraculous signs and wonders. They expected it to be in their time, in their day, in their generation, and it came in their time, in their generation, in their day. It just didn't happen the way they thought it was going to happen. And I'm not so sure that we can't learn a valuable lesson today. See, this story that Jesus is laying out, this parable, has to deal with three months' wages. There are ten characters, ten players, and each one of them gets three months' wages. That's the equivalent of a mina. A mina is three months' wages. What would you do if God gave you three months' wages gave you a bonus. What would you do? How would you invest the money? How would you invest the resource? The truth is that the truth is that God has given you and me much more than 3 months worth of wages. He's given you not only financial resources even though you might say God hasn't given you very much. He's given you something God's given you spiritual gifts if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. He's given you natural talents, natural gifts. He's given you a personality. You know, there's only one you. There will never be another you. There might be a a look-alike or a wannabe. You know anybody who's trying to be you? You know anybody who's trying to be somebody else? There's only one you. There'll never be another you. God's given you resources. God has invested into you. God has created you not accidentally, even if your parents think that you were and are the result of an accident. There are no accidents with God. God has given to you resources, and what God is looking for is a return on his investment. That's what this parable is about. The return of God's investment in your life. Ten guys or gals, each one of them given three months wages. And then the leader, the king, goes away. And then he comes back. There's a day of reckoning. You know, you don't have as many resources as you might have. You don't have an unlimited number of days. I don't have that. We do not have an unlimited amount of time. 
Your time is limited. There's coming a day that will be your final day. My final day. The inability to add to the investment that God has given to you. There is no greater investment than the investment of your entire life. See, until you are sold out for God, you've sold out for something else. Until we are sold out for God, we have sold out for something else. Each of these guys gets the same amount of resources. You can spend more time, of which you have a limited amount, wishing, the Bible says that this is covetousness, wishing that you had the amount of money that somebody else you know has, wishing that you had the house that you know somebody else has, the car that you know somebody else has, the good looks that you know somebody else has the spouse and the family that you know somebody else has, all you need to do is take just a week of your time this week, you'll find somebody who's got more money than you. You'll find somebody who's better looking than you. I know that that's a shocker. I gotta look up when I say that so nobody thinks I'm looking at them when I'm saying that. (laughs) You're gonna find somebody who's better looking than you, somebody who's got more money, somebody who's got a nicer family, somebody who's got less problems than you, seems more privileged than you, but you'll also find somebody Are you ready? You'll also find a lot of people who are not as good-looking as you, who are not as wealthy as you. Leave the United States of America, and you'll go into a majority of the countries in this world who do not have the financial resources that the average American has. Go through the course of this week, and you'll find people who have a car that's not nearly as nice as yours. In fact, people who wish they had your car and are struggling with the same type of covetousness in a different way because of the things that you have. See, you've got resources that God has given you. And as quirky as your personality might be, I can guarantee you it's better than somebody's personality out there. God has given you, God has given me resources And in this story, this parable of the 10 minas, every one of these 10 guys or gals has been given the equal number of resources, the equal amount of resources, and then it's up to each one of them individually to make something of their lives, to do something with their lives, to make a decision about who's going to reign and rule over their lives. This is the context of chapter 19 in verse 11. This story of the parable of the minas, while they were hearing this, while they were listening to the interaction of Jesus with Zacchaeus and this one guy who stood out from the crowd, Jesus uses this as a golden opportunity to help them understand, hey, This guy wants me to rule and to reign over his life. What about the rest of you? Indiscriminately, I've poured out gifts and blessings. This guy wants me to rule and reign over his life. Some people will choose the King of kings, the Lord of lords, to rule and reign over their lives, Jesus Christ. Others won't be sold out. They will sell out to the pressures of the world. They will sell out because they have wrong 
thinking about God. Did you see what this third guy, see, we don't get into the other seven. The implication could be that the rest of them have the same response that that third guy has. He sells out and squanders the resources that God gave him, chooses to not let the king of kings rule and reign over him because he has faulty, stinking thinking about God. Look at this. In chapter 19, in verse 20, another came saying, Lord, here's your mind of which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you're a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. You take what you did not deposit, reap what you did not sow. You know, some of us are robbing from God in the financial realm. And I know that because I did that for a long time. You might say to yourself, but pastors are not supposed to be that way. You're the senior pastor of a, 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 of a church. Can I just be brutally honest with you? God had to teach me a lesson that he was worthy and trustworthy and faithful and that even when I didn't see how things were going to work out, I needed to trust God with the finances that he gave me. Because I had some stinking thinking about God. I know none of you have had stinking thinking about God when it comes to finances. There's not a person hearing what God is trying to say to us right now who has struggled with looking at how much money they have and looking at what the Bible teaches about giving to God the first fruits, at least 10%. That's the idea of tithing presented in the Scripture. You say, well... Why don't we see tithing presented in the New Testament? Because it's an entry level. Tithing is presented in the Old Testament as an example. For God so loved the world that he gave 10% of his only uniquely brought forth son. The example of giving in the New Testament is way beyond 10%. It's not found in money. It's found in a person. His name is Jesus. What if God only gave 10% of his son? You and I would be in big trouble See, what I want to happen to you is what happened to me, what happened to many of you. How many of you, by show of hands, know that when God was challenging you in the area of your financial resources because you had some stinking thinking about God, thinking that he reaped what he did not sow, thinking that he, he was going to take from you when he actually wanted to bless you, how many of you have learned that you cannot outgive God? Look at that. How many of you have learned that God's addition is often by subtraction? I don't know how God does it, but when I stopped robbing from God what rightly belonged to him, God started giving me more. Amen. Not so that I could then spend it on myself, although God does like to give good things to his children. Just don't go for the, the bling. You know what I'm saying? God does want you to take care of your family. In fact, God wants to take care of your family by giving you the resources so that he can take care of your family through your good stewardship, the investment of your mina. 
I realized that as I gave to God, God would entrust to me more for the purpose of doing what? Building the only kingdom that will endure forever. You see, this is said twice here in this parable. This is a parable about who's going to rule and reign over your life. Look with me at verse 14. But the citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And then we see it again in verse 27. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, or bring them here and slaughter them before me. The contrast, those who will let and welcome the rule and the reign of God over their lives and those who won't. And how do you know whether or not God is ruling or reigning in your life? How do you know that? It's so simple that even a child can understand it. You know whether or not Jesus is ruling and reigning over your life. You know whether or not you've made the choice of submitting to Jesus as the Lord, the King, the ruler of your life by how you're investing the resources that he's given you. There is a direct correlation a direct one-for-one correlation, an obvious object lesson between someone's profession of lordship and their use of their mina, the use of the resources that God has given you. Now, you might think that I'm speaking just about money. I'm not so shallow, and neither are you, to think that God would only be interested in money. But the use of our money is a direct reflection of the investment of something much more priceless than money. Our lives. Our use of money is a reflection of the investment of our lives. How we spend our time. You can tell what is important to somebody by how they invest their time how they choose to roll up their sleeves and build the only kingdom that's going to endure forever, the kingdom of Jesus. This is about ruling and reigning. Who's ruling and reigning over your life? One of the guys gets 10 minas. Look at verse 17. And he gets 10 more. And the ruler's response is, well done, good servant, because you've been faithful in a very little. Now, we would think very little, He took one of the minas. He takes one and he gets a tenfold return on his investment. See, it's not necessarily, if you start thinking God hasn't given me much, so therefore I'm not responsible to give him much, you don't understand. It's not how much God has given you, it's what you're able to give God in response to whatever God has given you. You might be able to do more with the little that God has given you than what somebody who's been given much more is doing for no other reason than the rain issue. The rule and the rain decision. The decision that you have made, the decision that you are making about to what degree will Jesus 
rule and reign over your life. Do you understand that that's what is being presented in this parable? It's not how much God gives you. God gives to you. God gives to me fairly. It's how much we give to God as a reflection of and a response to his loving kindness, his generosity, his goodness to us. This one guy gets one minor and he outdoes himself. Why? Because he settled the issue of who was going to rule and reign over his life. Have you done that? Maybe you've done that initially when you've given your life to Christ. Maybe you did that when you gave your life to Christ for the very first time, but it's a long obedience in the same direction. When we give our lives to Christ, that's a turning point. That's the entry level. It's the beginning of a new walk with God that we didn't have before that. It's the beginning of a new lifestyle. It's the beginning of a new series of choices. You understand that our lives are a series of choices, a series of choices, one choice after the next, after the next, this choice affects the ability to make that choice. That choice affects the ability to make this choice. See, if you squander God's minas, you will not have the ability to invest at a key opportunity when the investment opportunity comes by in the future. You don't know when opportunity is going to come knocking at your door. Your life and mine is a series of choices. One choice leads to the ability to make another choice. That's called leveraging your decisions. And a disciple, a follower of the living and true God knows how to leverage his choices, knows how to leverage her choices. Are you someone who leverages the resources that God has given you? The second guy takes with his one mina and brings back five and gets five cities. The first guy gets 10 cities. The idea that's presented here is that God is a just rewarder. The way you and I live our lives, the way we live our lives now will one day be rewarded in a fair and just way. In a big way. I mean, that's a pretty good return on your investment. Three months wages <laughs> leveraged in the right way is going to yield 10 cities, five cities. I want a piece of that real estate. And you do too. You can have it. Courtesy of the impartial, all-loving, all-knowing, merciful, gracious God who's given you resources, who's given you the opportunity this day to choose whom you're going to serve with the choices that you make. The accumulation of those choices based on whether or not Jesus will rule and reign or somebody or something else will rule or reign. The third guy didn't get it. Given the same resources as the other nine, and he didn't get it because he had stinking thinking about God. Didn't know that God loves to reward 
God is looking for a return on his investment. Remember that prayer that you prayed sometime, and if you haven't prayed this prayer ever, or if you haven't prayed it lately, it's a good time to start. It's a good time to dust it off. Good time to pray it again. That prayer, oh God, use my life significantly for your eternal glory. What if God wanted to take you up on that prayer? You know he does. That's a good prayer to pray. Oh God! Do something eternally significant with my life. God, do something eternally mind-blowing for your kingdom in my family. God, do something with my job. It's not just that I go in and I get paid. Lord, you give me resources to invest for your kingdom. Because you rule and you reign over my life. And someday, Lord, my job's going to end. Someday, Lord, my career is going to come to an end. But if I invest what you've given to me properly, if I use what you've given me properly, Lord, you say to me, you'll give me more. He is faithful with little, is faithful with much. Look at what Jesus says here, the point of the parable, verse 26 I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But to the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now listen, I want to talk honestly and candidly with you for a moment. Would you rather hear this from the Lord himself when it's too late or from me? Whose opinion really doesn't matter while there's still time. One of the reasons why God does not give people indiscriminately more resources is because you haven't used the little resources that he's given you in the wisest, most prudent, leveraged way because he rules and he reigns over your life. See, many of us have mistaken taking sides with taking over. There was a song years ago, we're not here to take sides, we're here to take over. Song in Christian circles that used to be sung. And many of us have mistaken this idea for taking sides as taking over. The idea of this parable is that God wants a good return for his investment. I mean, look here at verse 15. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. What they had gained by doing business. God wants you as a follower of Christ and and wants me as a follower of Christ. He wants our Christ-following families not simply to be interested in whose side we're on, but to be interested in having an influence while we're on God's side. See, there's a difference in just taking sides and taking over, and I say that with all humility. We need to have a talk about this for a minute so that nobody misunderstands what the Lord is trying to say to you and to me. We cannot have this arrogant idea 
It's me and Jesus. I'm on Jesus' side. God saved me. God rescued me. And now we look down, other, uh, look down our noses at other people as if we're superior to them. That's a, a good deal of repenting that needs to happen in the body of Christ. Amen. You didn't choose yourself to be saved. Jesus chose you to be saved, and he chose me. All we did was respond to God's initiative. And so none of us is in a position where we can look at other people as if we're all of that and they're not all of that and we've got it and they don't have it as if we're superior to them. We're not superior. We just happen to have been selected by Almighty God. We need to repent thoroughly of our cocky, haughty, arrogant attitude toward those who are not believers. And have you ever stopped to think that that could be one of the biggest obstacles why people don't believe in the gospel? Because we come off as being holy rollers, more holy than other people. When we're just as needy as everybody we come across. Just because you've given your life to Christ, just because I've given my life to Christ doesn't mean that the ruling of Jesus Christ over our lives, the responsibility to spread the only kingdom that will endure forever is removed from our lives. See, many of us are we're waiting for the rapture to come. Lord, get us out of here. Beam me up, Scotty. We're waiting for Jesus Christ to return. We have this occupy until he returns mentality. Do you know anybody who's got that? Do you find anywhere in Scripture, do you find anywhere in this passage, this parable, the occupy until he returns mentality? Yes, we do. The third guy with that mina who hid it in a handkerchief. And he is sternly rebuked in this story, sternly presented as somebody who is shameful, did not understand the lordship of the king of kings and the lord of lords, did not understand the idea of submitting his life, submitting the entirety of life under the reign of God. And he's sternly rebuked. This idea, occupy until he returns, just got to be in a defensive posture. No, these other two guys are in an offensive posture, taking on additional territory so that when the king comes back, they're able to present it to him and say, look, I took with one, with the little that you gave me, and I invested it. I rolled up my sleeves. I got busy for you. My understanding of your lordship led me to action. And until your understanding, until my understanding of lordship leads us to action, we will continue in inaction. And when you're not acting for the good of the king and the kingdom, you don't understand what it means to have Jesus as the ruler and the reigner and the Lord of your life. You will always find people who have distorted, wacky, stinking thinking about God. But what about you? And what about me? God wants to 
give to you so that you can give to him. You know, when it comes to serving the Lord and loving him, it's actually an act of worship. We can lift up hands and sing songs, probably the easiest thing to do. Easiest thing to do is to lift up hands and sing worship songs to the Lord. But the most intentional thing that you can do, the most intentional thing that I can do is invest your life as an act of worship to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because he's coming back. We don't know when. I frankly don't care when. I just know that he is coming back. You don't need to get caught up in when he might come back, when he might not come back. Just understand that he's coming back. God's given us his word. That's sufficient. It doesn't matter if there's a fifth or a sixth or a seventh blood moon. It doesn't matter if there's a war of wars that puts all of the wars in their context of looking like a warm-up act in comparison. It doesn't matter what's on the horizon except who is on the horizon. And who is on the horizon is the king who's coming back. Now you might say to yourself, you know what? You might say to yourself, I've blown it. I've made bad decisions. I haven't invested the talents that God has given me the way I should have invested them. You're not alone. And today is a great day to begin a new walk with God. He was born in 1890, died in 1980, lived to be 90 years old. And when he was five years old, his father came home from work with a fever and died that same day. A little while later, his mother remarried somebody, but unfortunately, the man that she remarried, a very abusive man. And so this young boy, who was now in seventh grade, had to quit school so that he could work and get away from his abusive stepfather. The only problem was he was not able to hold down a job. He had a lot of manual jobs that he continually got fired from. Royal failure. You know anybody who's been a failure at least once or twice in their lives? Maybe three or four times? Now we see the hands going up. My hands, I got both up. Took manual jobs and was fired from them got a job as a firefighter and was fired from that. An insurance salesman was fired from that. In his first marriage, he was caught cheating with another woman, and so his wife divorced him. He got a law degree and practiced law, but lost his job because he was arguing with one of his clients. But in 1964... When he was 74 years old, he knew a thing or two about fried chicken. And Harland David Sanders sold his chicken business for $2 million and a $40,000 a year salary to some shareholders. And today, all of us are ready to go out and eat Kentucky Fried Chicken because of his legacy. That's a story of a guy who didn't get it right and 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 maybe didn't even get it right on his dying day. But he got something right. He knew how to make chicken. And there's a story and a lesson in his life for you and for me. You might get a lot of things wrong in the course of your life. You probably have gotten a lot of things wrong in the course of your life, just like me. Get over it. Get over it and get on with it. 
get over it, and get on with it. This one thing you can get right in your life, and it's time that we get it right in our lives. The fact that Jesus is returning and we have right now, however much time God's given you, we don't know. However much money God's given you, you know. However much talent God has given to you, it's given to you and to me on loan for a limited amount of time to do one thing with it, not two. To do one thing with it and not three. To do one thing with it and one thing only. To invest everything that God has given you for the rule and the reign of the eternal king. And whatever mistakes you've made in the past, get over it. God's got a bright future for you and for me. Today is a great time to turn over a new leaf with God, to get the lordship of the king of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, settled, to take the mina that he's given to you, the resources that he's given to you, and say, you know what? As for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. You know, whatever I've done with the resources you've given to me up to this point, Lord, maybe I haven't trusted you to the degree to which I should. Maybe I haven't invested the resources that you've given to me to the degree to which I should. But as for right here and as for right now, as for me and as for you, I want you to rule and to reign over my life, in contrast to the way other people, the way the crowd is living, I want to be that one person who gives you a great return on your investment. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. Mm -hmm.